There will never be another you. There will never be another you. So stop trying to be someone else and be who God made you to be. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. And I am your host, Bette Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly, the world needs you. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. Today's episode is all about bold faith and bold forgiveness. We haven't had a guest quite like Mary Lennenberg. She shares about being brave in the scared and being bold in the broken. She shares about raising her severely disabled daughter who passed away at the young age of 22. Mary also candidly talks about the struggles that she and her husband Jerry have had during their 32 years of marriage. In today's episode, you'll be able to tell how important Mary's faith is to her. And many of you may be of a different faith, and that is beautiful and bold too. Remember. My goal on this podcast is to share unique journeys so that we may be inspired to live out our own. It's a beautiful story of redemption and coming into the person that Mary was called to be. Before we get started, I wanted to share with you about my Uncle David. He died at the young age of 19. I've heard about his kindness, gentle soul, and his way with music. But what David and my grandparents didn't know at the time of his death is truly how much they would teach me and others through it. You see, my Uncle David died in a car wreck. He was not the driver. The driver, his friend, lived. My grandparents, however, never once blamed that driver. Sure, They probably could have. There was maybe fault to be found. But oftentimes in tragedy, we want to find blame. Sometimes there is someone to blame. And yet, even if there was, my grandparents knew that blame and anger were not going to bring David back and would never have been what David would have wanted. They were also wise to know that David could have just as easily been that driver. We all could have been. You see, in life, sometimes we are David and sometimes we are the driver. But no matter who we are, I believe we are called to be the open arms of my grandparents. When someone causes fault to us or others, we often want to throw stones, right? I get it. However, we throw stones at them, not remembering that we all live in glass houses. And truly, at any moment, we can mess up and have stones thrown at us too. So I am truly challenged, and I think, if I were my grandparents, what would I do? Or if I was that driver, or my kids were, how would I hope we would be received? So whether it's a stranger in the news or your neighbor next door, I believe we need to forgive and just bottom line, love more. We need to watch our words, watch our anger and our blame, 
We need to not think it could never be us. We are in many ways the same. We are all the driver, David, and my grandparents too. And remember, friends, the power to forgive is there inside of you. Now let's get to Mary. Well, good morning, Mary from Gig Harbor, Washington. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Miss Bet from Fairfax, Virginia. We're across the nation. It's amazing what technology will do. As an extrovert, as someone who truly loves and feeds off of connection with others, it has been one of the best gifts of this podcast is that I get to talk to people like you that I probably wouldn't get to see otherwise during this time. It's such, it's really been a gift for me. Well, it's been a gift for me as well to connect with so many, um, especially during this time that we need so much encouragement and we just need to be seen in our own homes. So um, this is a gift. I was able to see Mary speak last year at a women's conference in California, and she shared about her journey writing her last book, Be Brave and the Scared, and she shared her beautiful story with all of us that day, and I was so touched by her journey. And then I, on social media, I saw that she was announcing her new book, which is called Be Bold in the Broken. And today we're going to talk about her new book, but also get to know Mary a little bit better and her journey. So Mary, before we dive into all the wisdom you have and the things that you share in Be Bold in the Broken, let's uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background. And I'm sure the listeners would be anxious to hear a little bit more about you. Sure. So I'm Mary Lenneberg, and I have been married to Jerry, my husband, for 32 years. We were blessed with four souls, two we did not get to hold before they went to the Lord. Our son, Jonathan, is 31, and our daughter, Courtney, was uh, had severe special needs, and she was with us for 22 years. So her the anniversary of her heaven homecoming is December 27th, so we're coming up on that. But it's been six years since she's been home with God. And for the first 25, 26 years of my married life, I was a stay-at-home mom and took care of Courtney with her full-time needs and homeschooled our son. And my husband was in the Navy when we first got married. So he went all over the East Coast uh, as he was flying. He was a naval flight officer for P3s, and then he was aboard an aircraft carrier. So then we settled in Virginia. And since being here, it's been here, gosh, 21 years now. And so I'm a catechist at my parish. I'm a extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. You know, when my kids were in like when Courtney was in a special needs school, I was part of the PTO. I did all the things that everybody does. And then when God called Courtney home, my life kind of took sort of a turn. I don't know, an unexpected term, I think, for my for the way that I look at my life. So I was asked to write a book about our journey with Courtney. And they had to ask me three times for me to say yes. And I didn't actually say yes. My husband said yes. So I didn't really want to write the first book, Be Brave and the Scared. It wasn't, it was just so hard because it was all about the hardships of of Courtney and raising a child with special needs and what it brings forward in your marriage. And, and it was the story of, you know, my husband and I and our own human brokenness and how God came into our marriage and restored it and redeemed it and how he did all of that through a little girl who never spoke a word, who never took a step, but showed her parents 
what the face of God looked like and how to love with your whole life. And so after that experience, Ave approached me to write a second book. And that's the one we're talking primarily about today, Be Bold in the Broken. And that really is just my personal journey through identity coming into the woman God called me to be. So it's two very different books, one uh, really about redemption and restoration, and this one along those same things, but really how, and it's through courage and through receiving the love of the Lord that he has for each and every one of us. So yeah, it's a very unexpected place to be. And now I travel all over the world and speak and encourage other women and teenagers. I, I've become an entrepreneur and started side businesses. I'm now entering into the life coaching sphere. So it's been a very interesting six years. And you know, God is never wastes anything. So he's used all of the wisdom and the hard knocks and the hard lessons that I've come through to encourage and inspire others to live a brave and bold life. Mary, as you mentioned, your daughter Courtney is a huge part of your story. And I was hoping you could tell the listeners a little bit more about Courtney. I would be so honored. I love talking about my girl. So my Courtney came into the world uh, in August of 1992, and she was my fourth pregnancy and my second live birth. And when I had her, I remember the day of her birth was such a gift because it was five hours of labor, no drugs. And it was such a day of joy because I had a girl. I grew up with six brothers and a sister. So I was always surrounded by boys, lots of masculinity in my home, probably why I'm a little bit more bold than most because I knew how to play football. (laughs) I played all the sports. I did all the things because I was surrounded by boys. And so if I didn't learn how to do that, I would pretty much be alone in my room with my Barbies. So I learned how to do all of those things. And, you know, my mom was 100% German. My dad's 100% Irish. So I got the stubbornness of the German and the boldness of the Irish together. And sometimes that's a tricky combination, but God chose that for me. And when we were having our daughter baptized, she was five weeks old. And as she was being baptized, she had what we came to understand later, a grandma seizure. So she began to have seizures on the day of her baptism. And there's no known medical reason for the entirety of her life Her diagnosis was seizure disorder, origin unknown, Mm. with global developmental delays. And those delays came from a medication we gave her when she was seven months old that she was actually allergic to and we didn't know it. Mm. And so her brainstem swelled, her body went septic, and she stopped developing at the age of nine months of age. So she never really surpassed nine months in development. And she lost her sight. And so most of her disability comes from that reaction, that medical intervention. And so with that came guilt, of course, as parents that we gave permission for this because we thought it would help her. And indeed, even when you think you're helping and sometimes it goes sideways, you've got to, you know, God is still in that. And we didn't realize that at the time. But what our beautiful daughter showed us is what broken looks like. See, God doesn't make mistakes. Courtney had everything she needed within her own brokenness to do the job God sent her here to do. And, you know, she was just the rest of us inside out. We spend our entire lives hiding what is broken. Courtney couldn't hide any of it. She could only love and be loved. That was her job. And so for 22 years, it was the greatest privilege of my life to love her. And that included caring Uh, For her every physical need, Uh, she could not do anything for herself. You know, you were lifting from her bed to the wheelchair, from the wheelchair to the ground, from the ground to the wheelchair, to the wheelchair to the bed. That was pretty much every day, all day. She had a G-tube when she was seven put in because she was aspirating thin liquids. So to help protect her lungs, we did that. She went to a special school for the severely disabled and she had seizures 
every single day, save maybe about a hundred days over the course of her entire life that were grand mal, life-threatening, and she would stop breathing. Wow. So I lived in crisis management 101 for 22 years, 24 hours a day. And it's been interesting looking back on that time. I miss her so intensely. I miss the sound of her laughter. I miss the sound of her Chewbacca call. She sounded like Chewbacca from Star Wars when she was hungry. <laughs> I miss, you know, her her humming when she was happy. And we call it the the hand washing. It's kind of like a self-stimulation that a lot of autistic children do, uh, flapping their hands back and forth. I miss the sound of that. I, I just miss everything about her. And if God so graced me with this child, and, you know, I would take her no matter what. And and that was pretty much the lesson. The first lesson we learned was God doesn't make mistakes. He loves our children, whether they have what we think is full capability or there is some disability. And He allows what He allows for His glory and our good. Sometimes our suffering is not about us. Courtney, that was another lesson Courtney taught me. Sometimes our suffering that we're going through is an example for somebody else to either be inspired and to say, oh, if they can do it, I can do it, or to just, you know, whatever the Lord has for that. It wasn't, all of the suffering we went through wasn't always about us. Sometimes it was about other people. And so you learn to live your life in a more outward way with your arms wide open, like our Lord on the cross, and just allowing people in to see the beautiful burden that we were carrying because she really wasn't burdened. She was total miracle. And, you know, I've learned so much about life and love and empathy and compassion and acceptance and strength and courage because this little girl came into our world and was like a volcano. She just, just disrupted everything. And what she did, the gift she gave her dad and I was she showed us our own weakness, our own addiction, our own issues within our marriage. And we had to make an active choice to either improve our marriage, to restore our marriage, or we were going to be like the 80% of couples that have a child with a disability that end up divorced. I mean, it's a horrific, it's a horrific statistic. And we didn't want to be those people. And so it required a lot of work. And it was really, really hard. And I forget because God is good and He has lifted that burden from my heart, how hard it really was. But miracles happen and she was one of them. And so, um, you know, she showed us that every life has purpose and meaning. Every life deserves the dignity to which God has placed His personal stamp upon them. Every life deserves protection. And she showed us how to do that and how to advocate for her and how to advocate for ourselves and for our family. And we are forever changed because of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed wonder that uh, just swept through our lives with abundance. Oh, well, I'm so honored to hear more about Courtney, and I know you you did carry a lot. Was there ever times where you felt like, did you do something wrong to deserve this? Because I hear a lot from people when something goes wrong, they think they've done something wrong, or when life gets yeah. hard. And I love this new kind of way that people are looking at, at life being hard, that life is going to be hard. That's inevitable. And you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Do you ever, did you ever have those moments? Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. Especially in the beginning of our journey with Courtney. I mean, think about that day when she was seven months old and we gave her that medication. You know, I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. You know, that you are an active participant in your child's disability. Right. Now, 
Would I make a different decision today? No, I wouldn't because we went with, with our full hearts. So we did our, we did our due diligence. We talked to all the people. We read all of this is before, you know, um, mm-hmm. WebMD and all of this stuff. We did all of it and we trusted. We had peace in our choice and we trusted God with the outcome. And God allowed Uh what he allowed. And so we had to look at one another and we had to work through those feelings of guilt, those feelings of um, shame, um, anger. And it took seven years to do that. Seven years. And in that time, there were many, many nights that I would sit on the sofa holding this child as she seized, weeping for God to just take her home or to fix it or to heal her, or just, can you just make it different than what it is? Because I cannot do this. I am not smart enough for this. I am not strong enough for this. I, I cannot do it. And every single time I'd get to that place and I'd be weeping, my eyes would catch the crucifix on the wall. And just this whisper of, but you can because I did. I did it for you. You can. This is just your little sliver of my passion that you get to carry with me for this time. And that perspective change, was it still, e- was it easy the next time? No, I still was weeping. I still was begging God for healing. I was still was doing, I was persistent in my prayer. I was still doing all of that. And yet over time, I began to understand the gift that that suffering was. Because God does not waste that suffering. It's a beautiful, beautiful tradition in our faith as Catholics, redemptive suffering, that everything we do Every hard thing we go through when offered for another has redemptive power. It is not wasted. And so now when, you know, I have hard things that I still have to go through, I have grief I still have to walk through. You know, there's just regular life things, aging, parents, death of parents. We lost Jerry's mom this year and walking through all of those sorts of things that when there's moments of suffering, I remember those nights with Courtney and I think, okay, this is my sliver of the cross for the night. This is my little piece to carry. This is the thorn in my side, as St. Paul said. You know, this is Jacob's hitch in his step because he wrestled with an angel of the Lord. This is mine. This is my piece of it. And Lord, let me suffer well. Let me suffer with joy and let me offer to you as gift as best I can in that moment as you have offered your life for me. Sounds like because of your journey, you can relate to a lot of people going through some really hard times. You have that empathy. I do. You have that. Yeah, we that do. You've been there. So I feel like yeah. people probably come to you a lot when they're going through something difficult to say, Mary, how did you do it? How did you get through it? I can only imagine how comforting your words must be to them. Well, you know, I've learned a lot about what it is to comfort another. You know, it's something Something that we all struggle with as humans, like someone dies, you go to the wake, you go to the funeral, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. I get a lot of questions about that. Mary, my friend is suffering. What can I do for her? And then we get, yes, our door is always open. There's always a seat at the table. We have been with families that have lost children, spouses, diseases, jobs, I mean, all kinds of addictions. We have, we have prayed with them. We have walked with them. It has been a great gift to us to be able to do that. But the number one question I get is, what can I do when someone I love is suffering? And my answer is simple and yet is the hardest thing that you will be asked to do. And that is to show up in their life offering nothing 
but to listen and to do. No advice. No, I understand. Nothing. Just, I am here for you. This is the chicken noodle soup I made for my family tonight. I want you to have so that you can just rest because you're going through this difficult time. Here is this beautiful book that helped me. If it, if you read one page of it and it doesn't land with you, I want you to put it in the fire and burn it because mm-hmm. there's no guilt here. You know, you show up and sit next to them and let them talk about their daughter that they didn't get to hold because they just miscarried for the fourth time. Let them talk about the dream that's been taken from them because, you know, it, in the end, God allowed what he allowed and sin exists in the world and so hard things will happen. You know, show up and let them speak the name of the person that when other people are around them, they get uncomfortable and they want to go away. Be strong enough to hear that name. Be strong enough to not speak when when they're pouring out their hearts and to just hold their hand and say, I, I love you and I, I, I don't understand and I'm so very, very sorry that you are facing such hardship. Just be present to them because in the end, that's all anybody wants. They want to be seen. They want to be known and they want to be loved right there, right in their grief, right in their hardship. And if you bring a meal to someone like it, we are want to do, we always feed in times of trouble, you know, we bring the food because that's a sign of love and abundance. If they don't want to talk to you, don't be offended. Just leave the food, love them, pray for them and let it be. If you don't hear from them for a year after the death of their child, check in, check in once a month and just say, just know that I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and, and I'm, I'm praying for your child and I just, I miss your voice and then let it be. Don't take it as personal offense. Everybody walks through their grief their own way. You know, I mean, there might be a marriage that's breaking up and the husband and wife you've been friends with for 20 years and neither one of them know what to do. So they both stop talking Mm -hmm. to you. You know, don't be offended by that. They're trying to figure out how to walk in their own woundedness. So I think, you know, just to be present Be present to your people. Be present to them in times of celebration. Be present to them in times of grief. Be present to them in the ordinary. Because it's in the ordinary where we build those muscles. So when the hard things come, that boldness comes out, that bravery comes out, that courage comes out, and you're able to step into the hard part and not be swept away by it. Hey, friends. It's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guests. I love so much of what you just said. And as someone who is not going through a tragedy, but... Even, you know, I get asked, what do you need right now? Because we just had a new baby. And I think you could apply that advice to so many different circumstances that people want to be seen, heard, and loved. And a lot of times they just need to know that you're there 
And they also need to know that, you know, I often will have guilt because usually around this time life can get kind of chaotic and I don't feel like I get back to people like I normally would, or I didn't call this person. And the best gift that I find people can give me is, hey, no problem. I, I know I didn't hear from you for a while. I, I know I know you've got a lot going on. Uh, we love you. We're here for you. And, you know, I had one girlfriend, she just brought over a basket of like mom things, not baby things. It was like mom snacks and mom little lip stuff and just all these little comforting things. And we haven't talked a lot since then, but I know she's there. I know she's there. And your circumstance was on such a different level, but it's such good advice because I think many of us don't know how to navigate and help when people have something going on in their lives, a tragedy, something major. And then we, we tend to take it personal and, you know, know, and um, I think your advice on just letting that go and realizing that they are walking, you know, a hard time. The one sentence that needs to be removed from our vocabulary forever is let me know if you need something. We need to abolish it because guess what? We as a special needs parent, I am never going to let you know that I am in need because I have been fiercely let down and hurt by that. And therefore the protection that exists around my heart to protect myself, my daughter and my family is, is too, it's too, the wall's too high. And so I'm not going to let that down for you. Now, if you show up at my house with chicken noodle soup and muffins and a great mystery novel and you leave it there with a note, you have no idea how that changes someone's life. The simplicity of that act, right? Expecting nothing in return for a good deed. But when you're asking someone, especially someone that's in grief, in transition, undergoing hardship, they're in chemotherapy, they're whatever it is. When you say, just let me know if you need something, they're not going to reach out. It's like against our religion. We don't know how to do it. Exactly. So that's why I never ask that question. Let me know if you need something. I will always say, I am here for you. I'm showing up on Tuesday and I'll cover your dinner that night. And when they go, oh, please don't worry about it. And, you know, we do all the kindnesses that we, you know, for polite society. I'll be like, okay, that's great. You can freeze it for later. And we're out. Done. And you didn't call, not only is it against that person's religion to ask for that help, right? It's like against everything. You also didn't complicate their life. And I think that that is what people don't realize is sometimes by trying to help, we add another to do. So you're in the, the trenches walking with Courtney and you're dealing with all this. The last thing you needed was more to do's. And sometimes mm-hmm. with very good intentions by throwing it out there saying, what can I do for you, Mary? Or, hey, get back to me on ideas for this. Or you were just, no, I, you just can't. You're just not in that place to do that. Yeah, you don't have the bandwidth for it. The other thing is when they say, you know, uh, you know, let me know if you need any help. So we abolished that one. Okay. And we also uh, abolish this idea that when you give a gift, you are expecting something in return, okay? Gifts are meant to be freely given. God gave himself on the cross 
and desires a relationship with us, but expects nothing in return. It is our choice to choose him, right? Because he would never force himself upon us. Now, of course, with everything in me, I want to choose him. And when I don't, there is pain. And so I have to go and I have to, you know, repair that, that breach and that relationship. But in between human beings, when you give a gift and you give a gift with expectation, it is not a gift. Mary, I've always appreciated your wisdom that you've shared around your marriage with Jerry. And I think why it resonates to so many is that you have not shied away from sharing that marriage is really hard and we all have our addictions or our struggles or our shortcomings. And not everyone listening here is is going to have your exact path, but I know you've offered some advice to people. And I think right now in the time of quarantine and COVID, I have noticed a lot of people really struggling in their marriage. What are some of your pearls of wisdom that you share that you think If someone is struggling in their marriage, what do you share with them? And not all of our listeners are, you know, faith-based, but what do you share with them that has helped you and Jerry navigate some really tough times and come out the other end better? I think two things. Number one, love is a choice. To love someone is to place their need above your own. So it is a decision every single day to love my husband through, I kind of think of it as my five senses, through something I can serve, through my hands, through how I look at him uh, and how I see him in my mind, you know? Is he a good man today? Is he a good provider today? Am I annoyed by him today? Did he, you know, whatever he did that said or said that was hurtful to me, you know, how am I looking at him? How am I seeing him? How am I serving him? How am I hearing his need? So if you think of it in the five senses, to love is a choice. The second thing is forgiveness is transformational. This idea, you know, if you look at our story, both of us came into our marriage with a primary wound of unworthiness of love. It took a lot of therapy and a lot of spiritual direction and a lot of woundedness between us to understand that about our individual selves. Once we came to that understanding by the grace of God, we were able to look at the other and say, I cannot complete you. Like there's that great movie, Jerry Maguire, where she's like, he's like, you complete me. Jerry does not complete me. Jerry can never, ever complete me. Only God can complete me. But Jerry is my path to sanctification. So he leads me to God, or at least he should. In the beginning, I would say the first 11 years, 12 years of our marriage, that was not the case all the time. There were, of course, it wasn't all horrible, but it took a decision for me to forgive him for words said, the way I was treated, what I was afraid of. It took him forgiveness to look at me and do the same. We are all human. We all come, like you said, we all come with our things. Everybody comes into marriage with their van load of, of stuff from their primary um, you know, families of origin and, and all of the experiences they've had in their life. And we pack our vans in the front lawn and then we spend the next 50 years unpacking the vans on each other. And that's just not, that's not good. It's not helpful. And it takes maturity and it takes self-awareness and it takes a lot of tears and quiet conversations. And for us, it took coming together as a team to take care of our children who both needed us in very different ways 
that we were able to find common ground and be able to fight for our family together. We had to choose to either heal together or to quit. And neither one of us are quitters by nature. And neither of us wanted to be the first one to get divorced in our families. I mean, it was a pride issue in the beginning. It really was. We were just, nope, we're not going to be that couple. And so that led us to seek help. And that help led us to learning what love really was, what it is, and how to truly, truly forgive. You know, we have rules in our house when we fight because we're both very passionate people. And our fights are always about money or sex. That's that's what it goes back to from the beginning of time. I've always heard it's kids, money, or sex. That's what I've... I've kids, money, or sex. Kids, money, or sex is literally, those are the three arguments. That that's the trifecta. Yep. And now, our, of course, our daughter is in heaven and our son is 31 and, and moving in his own life. So it's not really kids anymore. Right. <laughs> but we we fought enough in that time that we put the other two, you know, the sex and the money kind of came before the children. And so therefore, those are very familiar to us, you know? Right. And when we talk about that, we're not talking about like how many times you're together intimately. We're just talking about that intimate conversation of are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? This is my need right now. I really need to go for a walk by myself for 30 minutes, or I might put my fist through a wall or your face, yes, either one. Right. It's I need that time, right? You know, and, and so we need to be realistic about our expectations of one another. I expect one thing of Jerry and one thing only, and that is for him to love me with his life because that's what God told him to do. You know, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for me. Jerry expects one thing from me, to love him and to be under his mission, to submit to his mission. What is his mission? To love me like Christ loved the church. How can I not submit to that? If I am under the mission of being loved as Christ loved the church and thereby loving him as best I can, then where is the issue with submission? That's what submission means, to be under his mission. And so both of us are walking hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder toward God. And that's the beauty of marriage. And in that process of walking toward God, sometimes, just like Jesus did when he was carrying the cross, we fall. And the other one is there to pick us up. Sometimes it's the other one that was pulling us along in the wrong direction, and we stumble and we fall together. Okay, then we both have to look at each other and say, okay, not a good choice. So we shouldn't have done this. But we had to walk through a lot of healing, a lot of unbinding of, of the way that we thought of ourselves and of that intimate act of sex, you know, Jerry had dealt with a, and continues to this day to deal with an addiction to pornography because it's not one that ever goes away. I myself uh, entered into that with him, but also my addiction, my primary addiction is to food. And so, you know, for me, food is love. Well, yes, food is nourishment, but you need to eat food to live, not to live to eat food. And so, you know, I had to, we had to walk through all of those things. So to love one another and to forgive and mean it. We don't tell each other we're sorry. I never say the words I'm sorry because those are frivolous and they mean nothing. I ask for forgiveness. I say to him, I know I hurt your feelings. I know I use that word. You hate it that I use it. I know I called this out in you and I didn't look at the rest of your day and how it was going. Would you please forgive me for the words? Would you please forgive me for the actions? Can we start again in this moment? And it takes a lot of humility to ask for forgiveness, but it takes even more humility to give forgiveness and not use it as a weapon. Right. It's so important. And I struggle with that and have to remind myself of that often. We all you know, struggle with it. We're human. Yeah, right.
So Mary, tell us about maybe one story you want to share in your new book from in Be Bold in the Broken. And then I'd love for you to share maybe some bold advice for our listeners today. So what's one one piece that you'd like to share about your new book? In the beginning, there's a there's a story. I, uh, what I do is I relate a story from childhood. It's kind of like I'm in a situation as an adult, and I remember something from my childhood where I was in that same situation, and how God kind of moved through those, right? Because we all we all you know think back to middle school, and you immediately remember the first boy you had a crush on. You remember when your braces went on. You remember, you know, who the pop stars were and the clothes that you wanted, or the favorite book. You know, depending on on what your hobbies were. I remember very specifically <clears throat> a situation as a young Navy wife where I um, made the hideous decision to gossip about another wife, to kind of derail her on the phone with a mutual friend. And I did it in a moment of grasping like Eve. And we've all been there. We've all like heard somebody else say wonderful things about someone. And you feel so bad about yourself that you're willing to cut that other person off at the knees. And, um, and I did that. And, and I tell the story about that in the book. And what it brought me back to in my, my childhood was there was this other moment where I knew I had to be someone else in order to be approved of or liked. And I was trying out for the, uh, our, we had a brand new football team at my small Catholic school and they were, they had cheerleader tryouts for the junior high girls. So sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And I remember at the end of my sixth grade year trying out and everybody showed up in their Adidas shorts and their, you know, Care Bear t-shirts and the 19, you know, it was 1979. And, and so you can imagine <laughs> the fashion and <clears throat> I'm looking at all of all of these uh, young ladies that are out trying out for the team. And I'm in my brother's leftovers, you know, hand-me-downs um, and a white Hanes t-shirt. And, you know, I just, I was not who they were. And I noticed in that moment, every single girl had a chest while I was as flat as a cardboard box. And in a split second decision that is now legend in my life, I rummaged through my gym bag. I found a pair of my brother's sweat socks, ran to the lavatory and stuffed my trainer bra. I <clears throat> went in as a, you know, 12 year old girl and came out as Dolly Parton's twin. <laughs> And I was so confident, falsely so, in that moment that I, I couldn't figure out how to get them out. You know, like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done this. And it was my turn to do the tumble run. And so I unfolded my arms and there might have been a gasp or 12 million from the people around me um, as my new growth <laughs> was revealed. And I did a tumble run. And as I did a flip over, uh, one of the socks came out of my sleeve and it landed on the ground and I stood up one sock short. And I, needless to say, I did not make the cheerleading team that year. And that sweat sock that was so humiliatingly staring at me and I left on the tumble on the mats showed up on my desk the <sighs> next day at school. And it was Fine. horrifying. I, I spent the next three months of that school year, just hiding. I, I, I don't think I ever made eye contact with anyone. And then I remember my father so brilliantly one night saying to me, I was crying in my room and he's like, Mary, you've, you, Mary Beth, you've done nothing but mope around for like, what is going on? I, my parents didn't know. I wasn't going to share that humiliation with them. 
And so I told my dad what happened and he laughed so hard he <laughs> fell off my bed and landed on the ground. He was laughing. I wanted to kill him in that moment. And he just looked at me and he got up and he goes, well, I, I got, I got to honor your commitment. You know, like you committed. And he goes, that's one thing I love about you, Mary Beth. When you commit, you're like all, all in. in good or bad. You are all in. And he said, I really cannot wait for my daughter to show up for fall tryouts and to do that tumble run as, as who God made her to be and not who, who Satan told right. her she should have been. And he goes, I can't wait for that. And I cried and I said, dad, I can't try out again. I can't do this. And he goes, I'm sorry. I don't recognize that voice. That is the voice of a quitter. And we don't, we don't have those in this house. And he goes, I can't wait to be cheering for you on the sidelines as you cheer, you know, for the football team. And so when you're, when your father says that to you, <clears throat> at least in my home, you do what right. was told to be done. You know, you, you, you do. So I, sh I showed up the next tryout and I was just myself and I had practiced and practiced and practiced. And at the end of my tumble run, no socks went anywhere. The coaches actually complimented me and cheered. And I made the team. Why did I make the team? Because I was the bottom of the tripod. I had, I was five, eight strong shoulders, all those hours spent in the backyard playing football. I mm -hmm, could mm -hmm. hold, you know, another person on my shoulders. And so by being myself, and that's, it's a great analogy for the rest of my life. That is what God has asked me to do. He has asked me to hold others on my shoulders. It's not always me that's in front, but when you look down to the bottom of the pile, that's where you'll find me on my knees holding others up. And so I, I share that story because what happened in my adult life was I was grasping and I forgot mm -hmm. who I was. And I forgot that I had worth and I had value and I didn't need to tear another down or take from another in any way in order to be better than or to be seen or loved. And it's a lesson as women, we are fighting every single day on social media, in our church parking lots, in our homeschool groups, in our PTOs, in our corporate jobs. We're fighting it every other, every day to celebrate another and not compare to another. Right. It's such a great story. And I just love that the words that your dad shared with you, but also that you went back and showed up as Mary. Yeah. And then here it unfolds, you actually, that is when you made the team. And yeah. isn't that just such a great correlation to so many times in life when we show up in who we are, not trying to be someone we think we should be, then that is when really the beauty unfolds. So I, I love that story so much. Well, I can't wait to read your book. And Mary, where can people find you and connect with you and buy your book? Well, I, they can find me on my website at maryleneberg.com or they can find me on Instagram. That's my favorite social media channel to hang out with. You can order the book wherever books are sold on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, christianbooks.com or you can go to my website and over to the right on the blog, there is a little box that you can check and you can order the book directly from me, a signed copy, and I'll sign it for you and mail it directly to you. So there's lots of different ways. And then the pre-orders are now open for Be Bold and the Broken. So that is the best way for you to help an author is to pre-order the book before it arrives. That's where all of our advertising dollars are taken from, all of our, our future book contracts. They're all based on those pre-order numbers. So it's really, really important that we get as many as possible. And, and so I've gotten used to kind of sounding like a used car salesman saying, please pre-order the book. We would really love your support. Hey, I, but if you don't ask, you don't get, Mary. Like Amen. so many people want, want to help or want to support. And just like you said, 
sometimes they just don't know how. And you're saying, this is how you can support me best. So I love it. I think you don't ask, you don't get. And we must say our dreams out loud. And I, I love that you're you're doing both and an example to do both. So as we close this interview, there's been so many pieces of advice you've shared today. So I'm probably just taking every ounce of, of Mary wisdom today, but what is the bold advice you would like to leave the listeners with today? There will never be another you. There will never be another you. So stop trying to be someone else and be who God made you to be. I love it. Well, I always end the podcast with the world needs you. And Mary, you have given us so much encouragement to be ourselves and be ourselves boldly. And I appreciate your time today and cannot wait to read your new book and wish you all the best, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It has been such an incredible honor, my friends. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, vetlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you. You.